First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll be reading just one verse. Uh, this is the word of the living God. Please give it your full attention. Uh, let's start in verse 12, actually, but we will only can be considering one uh, verse this morning. <clears throat> verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. This is what we'll be considering this morning. Live in peace with one another. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power and strength of your Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would give to us this morning listening ears and believing hearts and understanding minds. And Lord, we pray that we would be humble to receive your word this morning, that you would graciously carry us along uh, for the sake of Christ and for the good of your people, we pray. I decrease that you may increase, be glorified in Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this morning, brothers and sisters, we are continuing our short series, Encouragements While We Wait. Encouragements While We Wait. Paul concludes, as we have discussed, his letter to the Thessalonians with a a series of parting commands to the church of Thessalonica. This, this morning, is a, a short and simple passage. Live in peace with one another. Very simple. Very simple command. Uh, requires much effort on the part of the saints, though, isn't it? It is, uh, if you will, easier said than done. Live in, the Greek is, irene. Peace with one another. Uh, let me ask you, as we are kind of working our way toward this uh Point, how many of you have siblings? And I wonder if at any time during the lives that you live with them, or maybe lives that you're living with them now, if you have ever heard from your parents as a way of ceasing quarrels between the kids, between you and your siblings, if you've ever heard your parents say to you, you can't treat each other this way. She's your sister. He's your brother. You have to get along. You ever heard that in your family? This is your sister. Why are you speaking to her this way? He's your brother. You can't treat him that way. I've often heard my mother say uh, in the past growing up, can't we just have peace? It was a, a passionate plea from a mother to her children to simply Get along. Get along with one another. Have peace for the sake of the whole family. The very main point that our parents was targeting is the the very main point that the Apostle Paul is targeting. Live in peace with one another. Why? Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. You have to get along. Paul was a kind of mother to the church, nourishing her, but also admonishing the church. Get along. Uh, Let me ask you uh, this question. 
Get along on the basis of what? On the basis of what? Why must I get along with you and you get along with me? On what basis must the church have peace? Why should you get along with her and you get along with him? On the basis that you and I are in the same family. On the basis that you and I have been adopted into the same family. We have the same father. Christ is our brother. He has given us all his spirit. I am your brother. You have to get along with me. How are we to do this? In verse 11, there are a few commands. Let's take a look at that there. Verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Uh, One of the reasons why there is uh, sibling fights and sibling rivalry uh, is because of that, of rivalry. Uh, Some kids want to be mom's favorite or dad's favorite. And there is a kind of lobbying and jockeying for position to see who can be the, the most loved of their parents. Sometimes we fight in our families because of resources. Uh, I want the last pizza. or I, I, Who ate the last piece of cake? And we're fighting over resources. Well, Paul gives us these two commands. They are encourage one another. Don't compete one, with one another. There is no competition between each other. And build each other up. You take the last pizza. You have the last piece of cake. There's a, a building up and encouraging that we, the saints, must, must act upon, must live by in the church if we are to have peace in the church. Now, these encouragings, these building ups will help to contribute to peace. When we encourage, when we build up, we make efforts toward peace and the family is strengthened. Because of our efforts. Now this morning, with God's help, we will consider four points concerning living at peace with one another. Number one, God created peace through Christ. Number one, God has created peace through Christ. Again, the command is live in peace with one another. Uh, Brothers and sisters, I would like you to notice that the Apostle Paul does not command the church to Create peace with one another. Notice that. He does not say, brothers and sisters of uh, Thessalonica, create peace amongst yourselves. Now, that would be very difficult. Instead, he says, live in peace with one another, not create peace. Peace is not created or established by the church. Peace was created and established by the, the doing and dying and rising of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is because of Christ that we have peace. In Romans 4, the Apostle Paul makes both a presentation and defense of justification by faith alone in Christ. And he uses Abraham as his example. Abraham believed in the promises of God before he ever took one step toward Canaan. Abraham believed God before he ever circumcised one member of his household. Abraham believed God before he ever placed his son Isaac upon the altar to sacrifice him. 
And Paul testifies that because of Abraham's faith, before uh, anything he had ever done, whether good or bad, that faith justified Abraham before God. Romans 4.22, you don't need to turn there, but listen. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Why were the actions of Abraham written? They were not just written for Abraham. Brothers and sisters, they were written for you and for me. They were written as a testimony of how we can be justified before God. And it is by faith. There is no act that you can do that will ever justify you before God. All you can do is place your faith in Christ alone. Verse 25 of chapter 4 of Romans. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions was raised because of our justification. And Romans 5.1 Therefore... Having been justified, declared innocent by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our instruction by faith into this grace which we stand. We have peace with God through Christ, Christ in his perfect obedience, Christ in his sacrificial death, Christ in his rising from the dead has made peace between us and God. We had rebelled against God. We were separated from God because of our sin. We were barred from the holy presence of God because of our disobedience to his righteous commands. But thanks be to God that through Christ and his work, we have now an advocate. We have someone who goes between us and the father who goes to the father and brings to him the sacrifice that was required For the penalty of sin. And Christ brings that sacrifice to the Father. And it is accepted by the Father. And the Father raises the Son from the dead. Showing that He accepts the sacrifice of the Father. Or the sacrifice of the Son. Christ has risen from the dead. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is the once for all sacrifice. For all those who place their faith in Him alone. And we know this. Because there is no grave of Christ. There are no bones of Christ to dig up. Christ is at the right hand of the Father. As it's been said over and over again, there is glorified dust at the right hand of the Father. For all those who place their faith in Christ alone, forsaking our own empty righteousness, For the perfect righteousness of Christ, you will be saved if you trust in Christ alone. Therefore, we have peace with God. Do you need peace this morning with God? Are you waking up in the morning feeling unsatisfied? Is your faith in Christ? Are you worried about what will come from the day or what will come tomorrow? Let me ask you first, are you right with God? Do you have peace with God? Are you worried about your finances? Are you worried about what you will do and where you will live? Let me say to you, there is bigger problems. First and foremost, do you have peace with God? And if you have peace with God, then praise be to God, all the other things God promises will be taken care of.
Christ is the head. And those who have been given faith, trust in Him alone. We are His body. We have been adopted into the family of God. We have been united, not because of an earthly lineage, not because of human effort, not because of economic status. We have been united because of the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has called us into His fold. We are the sheep of His pasture, the flock for whom He died. Ephesians 4.1 says, Therefore, or I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, Paul, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain, maintain, maintain the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. Saints, it is vitally important to realize it's not our task to create unity. It's not our task to create peace. The Holy Spirit has already created peace. He's already created unity. We are worshiping this morning together with different backgrounds, different educations, different economical statuses, different ethnicities, etc. We have been brought together by the Spirit of God. We've trusted not in the same team, not in the same political party, not even in the same country, But we have trusted in the same Christ. Christ is what unites us. And we are commanded not to create, but to maintain unity. To maintain unity in the bond of peace that has been given to us by Christ. Christ creates peace. He he makes us united. And the command is, now maintain it. Maintain it. We maintain unity created by the Spirit by making every effort toward humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. Why do you always, even though you can't stand your brother or sister, why do you always end up going back and hanging out with him? Because that's my brother or sister. We are united by the same parents. We have the same blood. Let me say to you that you have better parents in God, a better father in God, I should say. You have a, a, a surer blood in Christ and a more firm unity by the Spirit. Why should we act in, in these ways? Why should we be humble? Uh, why should we be bearing with one another in love, patient with one another? Uh, why should we be, be gentle toward one another? Because you are in Christ. And we've been called to walk in a manner worthy of the name which we are now united to. The person we are now united to. You're in his family. Therefore, there's a certain way that you must conduct yourself in his family. You know, there's times when your kids will be with you and say, Mom, how come she can have those things that her mommy gives her? And you say, because that's her mommy. Dad, how come he can have those things that his his daddy's get? Because that's his daddy. I'm your daddy. There's a certain way that you live in this family. There's a certain way that he lives in that family. I don't care what he does in his family. This is your family. And this is how you're going to live. Christ is our head. And Christ commands us to live a certain way. What is that way? Humble. Patient. Bearing with one another in love. Gentle. Do you belong to Christ? Then that's how you must live. Do you belong to Christ? Then you must conduct yourselves in a manner 
worthy of the name that we, not you, not just you, we now bear the name of Christ. Later on, we'll discuss the attitudes of humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love as we progress in this short series. But I would like us to consider the fact that our life in the church must be maintaining peace. And the enemy is seeking to exploit and disrupt peace in the local church. We must not allow it. We must not allow it. You know, and I know, when there is divisions, when there is an awkwardness in the church, when you know he don't like her, she don't like him, he don't like them, we can feel it in the church. You may think no one knows about it, but you, we know about it. It's obvious. Do not be a tool of Satan who seeks to divide and create division in the church. At all costs, maintain, not create, maintain unity. You have the same father. Number two, (laughs) seek to edify. How do we do this? Seek to edify. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter four, when Christ ascended to the right hand of the father, he sent forth by his spirit gifts to the local church. Gifts. The Holy Spirit enables his church to serve one another with these gifts so that we may be, listen to these, built up and the church strengthened and expanded. Built up, the church is therefore strengthened and then expanded. The church is God's building project. We are under divine uh, construction and the end result will be a temple that is filled with the presence of God. Wherein all the residents perfectly worship him in spirit and in truth. That's where we're heading. Dear saints, if we are going to get there, we must maintain peace. How do we do that? Well, God is building us up. So we should build one another up. This is called edification. Edification is improvement. It's spiritual improvement. It's spiritually uplifting one another. In order for the church to maintain the peace that has been created by God, the Holy Spirit, we must be mindful of the fact that we have been gifted by God for the purpose of edifying the church, for improving the church, building up the church, uplifting the church, all of its members. Listen to this. Not just some. Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 4 and then verse 12. That in the church there were those who were standing up and speaking in tongues. A tongue. And they were speaking in a tongue that no one knew except for that person. And Paul says that no one is edified by that tongue. Except for the person who knows what they're saying. Paul says... Anyone who's doing this kind of act is selfish. Uh, They're only thinking of themselves. Paul rebukes this kind of action. Why? It is because the action does not build up the whole, only the one. Paul says, but the one who prophesies, he edifies the whole church. 
Brothers and sisters, uh, prop- or, uh, languages don't edify, prophecy does. What is prophecy? It's a word that you're getting now. It is a message from God. It is God's holy inspired word that is given to the entire church. You all hear me now. You all understand me now. And by the grace of God and by the help of the Spirit, I pray that you are being built up now. The word of God is meant for all people. But if one person stands up and speaks in a different language that nobody knows, only he is edified. Which says to us what? That when we edify, when we build up, we must not have one person in mind. We must have the entire church in mind. The church of Corinth was enamored, uh, captured by spiritual gifts. But they were overlooking the most common gift that each believer has as a gift from the Holy Spirit. You all have this, and it is this. Since you are zealous, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 12, you are zealous for, or zealous of spiritual gifts. Here's what Paul says. You like spiritual gifts? You're impressed by them? Here's one for you that you can all do. Seek to abound for the edification of the church. You like spiritual gifts? You like the showy things? Here's something that you can all do. Build each other up. Build each other up. So often the members of the local church, they see the preaching of the word as the only gift in the local church. And while preaching the word of God is the primary means of edification, it is not the only means of edification. Do you all hear that? The preaching of the word is a gift that God has given to the the local church. But you have, if you have not been gifted to preach or teach, that does not mean that you are void of gifts or that you're just useless. Well, I'm just going to go and hear him and then I'll go home. Do you know that that is how so many churches operate in America? Large churches, and listen to this, and many people are happy to do so. To go here and sneak out. And, and let me just say, not even sneak out. Because in some churches, it's completely accepted. Go here and leave. But that's not the way that God has ordered or constructed his church to function. There is an edification coming here from the word of God. And as the word of God is uh, closed with a final amen, then it is your turn to edify and build up the saints with what you just heard. I love hearing after sermons. Wasn't that good? How are you encouraged? I was encouraging here. Oh, that was convicting for me there. What are we doing? We're, we're building each other up. The most fundamental gift that God the Holy Spirit has given to the local church is edification. And you can do this. Dear ones, have you come this morning hoping to be uplifted? Have you come this morning hoping to be spiritually improved or built up? Well, the charge of the minister is to preach the word of God, to prophesy as it were, so the church can be built up. But you also have been given a charge to improve and to uplift the body of Christ with whatever encouragement you have to give. Don't think for a moment, since I'm not an elder... It's not my job to edify. It's out of my hands. It's not my job to edify since I'm not an elder. The apostle has just corrected that same kind of false thinking in the church of Corinth. Paul says, seek to abound. 
Strive to build up. Over and above is what he's saying. What you're doing now. We are gifted by the grace of God the Holy Spirit. Not just to serve ourselves, but to serve others. Are you others oriented? Are you thinking about other people when you come here? Or are you only thinking, I'm going to eat my... I'm going to eat as good as I can, and I'm going to go walk it off. What are you thinking when you come? Uh, What gifts do you have? Are you using them to encourage and edify the church? What do you mean, Pastor? Well, let me ask you some questions. Can you cook? I know you can. Who are you cooking for? Can you pray? I know you can. Who are you praying with? Are you hospitable? I know many of you are. Who have you invited over? I could go on and on. Uh, The gifts that we have are meant to be shared with all the church, without partiality, without favoritism. It's not wrong to have close friendships in the local church. It's very normal, right? But in order for us to have peace among ourselves, in order to encourage and to edify one another, we must not give our gifts only to those that we like in the church. Only to those that we are close to in the church. We must use our gifts to serve the totality of the church. All of the church. Paul said in in the book of Romans chapter 12 and verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Uh, Associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, he says, listen to this, live peaceably with everyone. This is inclusive language. Live in harmony with one another, not just those you favor. Associate with those who are lowly, those who nobody really wants to associate with. Draw near to them. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Do what is honorable. And as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Brothers and sisters, this kind of being at peace with everyone can start with with very simple things like this. Our manners or our demeanors. Do we show others that we're friendly? Do we have a desire to show others that they can feel comfortable to come up to us? That they can approach us? Are you approachable? Some have a naturally kind demeanor. You just see them and they, they their eyes are, are kind. They, I've heard say before, they kind eyes, right? Kind smile. Then there are others like me who don't have a kind eye and don't have a kind smile. I've got squinty eyes and uh, not a very kind smile. What, what, what can help? Maybe, maybe smiling from time to time, as hard as it is to crack that thing, as, as much as your face may start to break, Smile from time to time. Let me give you an example. You know what it's like to enter into a store or restaurant and be greeted with a smile and welcomed. Hey, welcome to whatever restaurant. Hey, welcome to whatever store. How are you doing today? Can I help you find something? You can, you, even though we're like a little annoyed, no, I got it, I'll take care of it. At least we're happy because we're not happy when we walk into a store or restaurant and nobody says anything to us. You know the difference walking to a restaurant, walking to a store. Then, hmm. They don't say one thing to you. You've been looking for the five minutes. Nobody asks you, do you need any help? You know the difference. 
Well, if you feel welcome, and, and, and you know the example, if you know what it's like to feel welcome, then why would we not make others feel welcome, especially when they come into this place? Welcome to Reformation Bible Church. Good to see you. What's your name? Or for those whom we know and love, brother, good to see you. Sometimes you come in, hey, hold on. <laughs> not even words. I don't even know what you said. Well, this is the day the Lord has made, brother. I will rejoice and be glad with you then. We can do very simple things. Simple things. Hey, brother, good to see you. How you doing? See, I, I'm not even smiling all the way. You can't even see all my teeth. It's just my eyes kind of squinted a little bit. That's a little bit more welcoming, isn't it? It's simple things, though, that are meant to build up the church. Some of you guys know some of the brothers and sisters here who you could say, that sister's a good creator. I always feel welcome when I see him or her. And then others are like, oh, yeah, they're nice. What are you doing? You're telling me basically the res- the restaurant and store experience. Yeah, I feel welcome when I go in there. I don't feel so welcome when I go there. It's very simple things. If we would just get out of our way. Because we're coming wanting someone to do it for us. But we're not so willing to, to do it for other people. Are you others oriented? Do you want to see the body of Christ built up? Do you want to be used in God's building project for the church? If the answer is yes, and I know you do, then edify one another. Build each other up. Brother, I'm thankful for you. Sister, I'm thankful for you. I'm glad to be united to you in Christ. You've helped me by your example. Your words of encouragement have been good for my soul. Simple things. And you may say, well, I don't really mean it. Then pray to God that you do mean it. Pray to God that you do mean it. Pray that God would help you to love these more and better. All right, let's go to number three. Avoid controversies. We're going to get into attitudes later, but these are some of the other things. Avoid controversies. I wonder, brothers and sisters, what was the best time in all of the church's existence up until now? I wonder if you can think of it. What was the best time when the church was just the golden age of the church? My older brother used to say about me um, growing up that he remembered certain things uh, about his childhood when I wasn't born. And he would say those were the, the good old days. Pray for his soul. Uh, was it A.D. 40? Oh, was it uh, the year 1517? Some of you may know these years. For us here in the Reformed Baptist Church, was it 1677? The the golden age of the church? Well, let me help you out. There has never been a golden age of the church. We know this because we have the writings of Paul to the local churches. And in every single one of them, there are always constant commands to live at peace, to cease division, to love one another. There are times in the local church when certain doctrines are preached that may be received with difficulty or maybe even controversial. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be preaching about the Pope. The Pope is the Antichrist. I'm going to talk about that. In a couple other weeks, I'm going to talk about uh, the Sabbath. Another controversial subject. I love those. There will be times that we live in when social matters and political matters may arise in the world around us and seep into the local church. 
If we're honest, over the past four years, there have been many political discussions that have truly turned ugly. The peace that God has created in the local church has been assaulted by the evil one. People who have been united by faith in Christ have tempted to have been tempted to divide, uh, to uh, divide over a variety of political issues. Well, we live in interesting times, don't we? In these days, uh, if someone doesn't agree with you, then you are automatically demonized. If someone doesn't agree with you, then you're avoided or what the thing that they're calling now, you're canceled, cancel culture. We must remember that God has commanded that we must live in peace with those in the local church. And outside, we are to live quiet, quiet lives so that they will see our work and give us respect for it. We have no right as believers to be okay with division in the local church. I'll say that again. We have no right to be okay with division in the local church. It must not be tolerated in the local church Because we have been commanded by our Father to live in peace. Dad said, get along. So we have to work this out. We must be mindful of the fact that if we do not maintain the unity and peace that have been created by Christ, then we fight against the work of Christ. And if we fight against the work of Christ, then we're agents of Satan. Seeking to destroy from the inside. The church that has, that has been built up by Christ for his glory. This is why when there are uh, unresolved issues in the local church and people leave based upon unresolved issues, we do damage to the local church. And it's a big deal. It needs to be seen as a big deal, not just, oh, well, just go ahead and go that way. I'm your brother. You're my sister. We are required, commanded to work it out. Well, what must we be mindful of? Well, thankfully, God is not silent on this issue. First Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 16. Don't turn there. If one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the other churches of God. What does that mean? The Apostle Paul says there is a contentiousness that the apostles do not teach. And that should not be practiced in the local church. Contention is fighting. Contention is the person who just wants to win. Contention is the person who wants to start an argument to win an argument. They find pleasure in sparking discussion about controversial subjects. But the only goal that that person has is to win. And by his winning, creates division. That kind of person is a tool of Satan. Brothers and sisters... One of the difficulties in, I think, today's uh, time is that we are very sensitive. We can rarely have difficult conversations without being deeply offended. And because of our offense, dividing. We can also rarely have discussions about things that we really dearly hold on to and believe and be challenged by them. Challenging our beliefs. Challenging things that may be tradition or maybe something that we have studied, but maybe don't know as much as we think we know. And being challenged by these things and finding out that maybe we might be wrong or maybe we don't know everything about the subject. It is very hard for people today. It takes a humble person to be able to hear something that maybe they 
disagreed with, and now we're finding out that they actually are the one who was wrong. And keep pressing forward with the person who has corrected them. We have a, a thing that we try to say with the guys, don't be quick to offend and don't be so quickly offended. You can't grow if nobody can tell you anything. You can't mature if somebody can't say, uh, excuse me, you're wrong. And you say, oh, uh, my heart, how could you tell me I'm wrong? That's so offensive to me. Well, you need to grow up. If you're a human, you're going to find out that you're going to be wrong quite a bit in this life. Accept it. Embrace it. Realize you don't know everything. And if you don't know everything, then at least I'm here to be taught. So teach me. I'm a sponge. Some of us want to be, some of us should be sponges, but we live like rocks. We don't absorb water. We only repel it. We need to be people who are humble. Now, is there a way to have discussion and debate in ways that is off-putting? Yes. There are ways that someone can bring forth truth and not do so gently. We all know you can say the same thing in two different ways. One will be accepted. The other one won't only because of the way that it was said. Let's work on being able to accept it no matter how it's said. But we also should be mindful of how we say things. I want to communicate truth and I want to do so in a most gentle and loving manner so that, you know, I love you. Not because I'm against you and not because I want to be contentious. That is a winsome way to bring forth truth. Winsome means I'm bringing forth truth and I'm doing so in order to win you over, not to push you away. And we all know that there are ways and times where we can bring truth that pushes people farther away rather than drawing them closer to you or to God. Do we have a God-glorifying goal when we are delivering truth? The answer should be yes. Is that your brother or sister? The answer should be yes. Do you love them? Yes. Then be gentle with them. Avoid the controversies that will get you nowhere, but be gentle with them. In these discussions that we might have from time to time, we must ask ourselves, is my desire to win or to learn? Is my desire to help, to build up, or to break and to tear down? I want to just show you how wrong you are. Ooh, I'm going to mess you up. Bring it on. I've had that attitude before when I, not, thankfully not any time uh, recent, when I've encountered different Jehovah's Witnesses or different Mormons. Like, oh, come. I'm just kind of waiting on the corner, acting like I'm not like I'm not even waiting for them to come. And then I'm just, oh, oh, hi. <laughs> it's just been a setup for me all the whole time. If we really want to learn, then we must be humble. But here's another thing. If we're going to learn, then we must not enter into these conversations with tunnel vision, meaning that there's no wiggle room for you to learn. There's no wiggle room for you to grow. This is what it is. This is what it's going to be. Unless it is on uh, dogmatic, doctrinal matters where there is no wiggle room, meaning the Trinity, the deity of Christ, justification, the inerrancy of the word. We can learn more about these things, but we can't deny these things. That makes sense. There's a greater matter at stake. When we have these discussions, we must keep at the forefront of our minds unity in Christ that we have been commanded to maintain by the power of the Holy Spirit. We must be uh, unity-minded, peace-minded. We must never sever that unity with our own pet causes, with our own pet beliefs that may disrupt the unity of the church. You say, what if I feel strongly about something? Let me say to this real quick. 
I would urge you all to be very careful about assuming that everyone in this church is conservative. Politically. Not everyone is. I would urge you to be careful not to assume that everybody in this church is a liberal. Not everyone is. Or a moderate. Not everyone is. What should we agree on? We should agree on what the Bible says. Could we have discussions that maybe impact a a left or right or middle wing of the political sphere? If the person is willing to. If they're not, and it's going to disrupt the unity of the church, avoid it. Why? Why should we avoid it? Because you have been commanded to maintain unity. Not convert someone to a conservative, liberal, or moderate. You've been commanded to build them up in Christ. To build them up in Christ. The kingdoms of this world will will be brought down one day. But there is one kingdom that is constantly and ever-growing. And it will not stop until Christ returns to consummate it. If a person wins an argument but turns a person away from Christ, they lose. There is no practice for this in the local church. It's the practice of people outside of the church. You see them on all the different news stations. They're constantly fighting each other. Constantly saying, did you hear what he said? Did you hear what they said? I can't believe that they believe this. I can't believe that they're for that. They are constantly divided. Debating, quarreling over controversies. Not so in the local church. This is a different kingdom that we belong to. And let me say to you, all of us, it takes a great deal of self-control, right? To not dive into some of these things. It takes a great deal uh, of self-control. Getting into an argument is easy. Getting out of one is hard. It takes a great deal of self-control. 2 Timothy 2.23, refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce peace. No, quarrels. Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations because they only produce fighting. Not going to have anything to do with it. It won't get resolved. It's just going to create more division. If we are going to pursue peace, maintain peace, then let's stay away from these controversies and contentions. Unless the person is willing to engage it, accept it humbly, then we can have those conversations. But you have to know who you're speaking to. You have to know their temperament, know if they're willing to be taught. And if you are as well. Paul tells uh, Titus in chapter 3, Devote yourselves, listen to this, to good works because they are excellent and profitable for people. Do you hear that? Uh, Devote yourself to good works because they're excellent and they're profitable for people. Good works are. But then he says in the very next verse, Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and, and quarreling about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. Controversies are not excellent. They are not profitable. They don't build up. Good works do though. Encouraging people in the faith, they do build up. What are you commanded to do? Build up the church. Build up the church. We are to avoid these because they're worthless. We are to avoid things that stir up controversy and division. Our brothers and sisters, I wonder if you think about this. Paul in his writings could only say so much with the pen and parchment that he had. He could only say so much. And with what Paul had, the resources, he spends a lot of time telling the church to maintain peace. 
to stay away from fighting and things that might destroy and divide you. That says a lot, doesn't it? If Paul is emphasizing with the little time that he has, live at peace with one another, then how important is peace with one another? Do you want to be a part of God's building project? Live in peace. Avoid controversies. Avoid foolish talk. Avoid debates about things that are not profitable. Uh, don't be the guy that just wants to win every argument. Don't be that guy. You know that guy. We've had a couple of those guys come into church. They've left. They beat a God. Build one another up in love. This leads to an important question. What do I do if I see someone in sin? Shouldn't I confront them? I want to promote peace, but does that mean that I don't call someone out on their sin? Well, you should. But let's make a distinction in our last and final point. A distinction between the law and wisdom. Number four, law and wisdom. One way to make war and not peace is, is when we fail to distinguish between law and wisdom. Uh, here's some uh, important distinctions. The law of God sets boundaries. It says you can do this within this boundary. The law of God also says uh, you may not do this. So there's boundaries to God's law. God creates lines and where we cross those lines into those things that we go into, those things are sinful and unrighteous. God creates lines, good borders for us. You can operate within these jurisdictions, but go beyond it and you are in sin. Everything on the righteous side of the law is lawful. Everything on the other side of the law is unlawful. Very simple. The law says do this in absolute terms. Wisdom says you may or may not do it. But you have the freedom to choose. You are free to choose something that is not outside or beyond the jurisdiction of what God has commanded for you. Law says one thing is right and wrong. Wisdom says one thing is right and you determine on how you want to do it. As long as you're within the boundaries of God's law. Wisdom is playing within the boundaries of God's law. Simply, one of the ways that conflict arises in the church is when we call those things sin that God has not called sin. That when we say you cross the boundary that God has set for you and they're actually playing within the borders, the jurisdiction that God has set. When we put more burdens on the people than God has done. There are many examples. As I, I, even as I was getting ready this morning, many examples of this. Here's just a few. When I was young, and hopefully these will be some correcting ones. When I was young, I was taught that it was wrong to have any kind of debt. That you were not allowed to owe anyone anything. That as much as you were able, pay everything in cash. Is it possible for you to pay everything in cash? Anybody got just got stacks of cash that you can pay everything with? Were these people who actually had a credit card and bills, they living in sin? This is all coming from the book of Proverbs, by the way. No, they weren't living in sin. Not at all. They were made to feel, though, as though they were not good stewards of money. But they were actually functioning within God's jurisdiction. They weren't outside of God's law. Here's another one. And let me just say really quickly. Most of the liberties that we have that oftentimes people get confused with are in relationship to food and drink. You, brothers and sisters, hopefully this will free you for the Lord's day and for the rest of your life. 
you are free by the authority of God's word to eat and drink whatever you like for the enjoyment of your body and to the glory of God. As long as you do so within his boundaries. Should I tease that out a little bit more? Maybe we should. Many generations, Christians, and denominations have forbid the use, let's just get to it, of alcohol. You are not allowed to drink alcohol in any way, shape, or form. But that's the, the that's not the law of God. It's only the wisdom. If you, and there may be some people who are sensitive to the subject, but let's be people of the book. God's law says don't be drunk. God's law does not say you shall not drink. There is freedom that requires a great deal of self-control within God's law. And many abuse that liberty. They've gone past what God has commanded. But if you are able to operate within the boundaries that God has given you, then you are not breaking any of God's law and you are not in sin. Now, I've seen it. I've seen men of God partake of drink and not abuse it. I've seen it. And trust me, I'm one of the ones you've grown up with. You don't even be seen with, don't, don't even take a picture next to a Coors Light or you're going to hell. It, it was not an easy transition for me because of a tradition that I've been raised with that wasn't rooted in scripture. It was only imposed upon me by the church that I grew up in. Am I a person of the book or am I, or am I a person of, a tra- of my tradition? If so, then I might as well join, join Rome because I am virtually not too much different from them. If one has been an alcoholic, then the wisdom of God is to avoid that alcohol. And to be careful in that vicinity because they know that there is a problem with what? Self-control. But we must not condemn the person who partakes and the person who partakes must not condemn the person who does not. Am I, do I love alcohol? I don't, can't stand it whatsoever. I had a little thing of it once, a little shot of it. Uh, actually, at the Lord's table, it was very nice. Because um, I've had it in certain churches. We'll, we'll talk about that in the future. I've had it in certain churches. You have the option of having juice or wine. Uh, because it is actually a biblical practice that has been practiced for many, many years. And we believe since the very beginning. Now... I don't care for it myself. You want to give me something that I enjoy and something that I delight in? Strawberry lemonade. All day long. Extra strawberries in my lemonade, please. Someone else may say, I like a, a, just a little a glass of scotch. Some of us may say, how could you? It's They're acting within the boundaries of God. Now they say, give me the whole bottle, please. Now you're outside of the, the, the limits of God's law. Does that make sense? We are to live within the boundaries. Now, we are, are, are kind of cringing over this talk of alcohol, but let's go to a place that we think about and talk and do all the time. Food. Some of us are gluttonous and we need to acknowledge the fact that we eat more than we actually should. I'm one of them. Do you go to bed saying, why did I eat that much? Now I've got to sleep propped up. Well, you, brother and sister, you've just violated a sin. You've you've gone beyond the jurisdiction that God has commanded for your soul and for your body. It's not good for our bodies to be abused that way. 
I have a sweet tooth. I have the worst sweet tooth. I challenge anyone's sweet tooth in this church. I'll eat a cake, a pie, an ice cream, three cookies. I am the worst. And thank God I have a wife who uh, constantly tells me that I'm breaking God's law. But you are free to eat pork. You're free to eat shellfish. All that you want. But you, not all that you want. You're free to eat as much as you want within the boundaries of God's law. When do you know for yourself that you've had enough? One of the things that we often do is I want to eat until I go, ugh. When we could have after that first plate, I feel good. I think I'll stop now. That's self-control. That's self-control. If we, we must confess that we've gone too far and that sometimes we have been more sinful than we should be. Brothers and sisters, <clears throat> there's another aspect to this. We must not make the path of holiness. Oh, let me just go to another one. A, a bunch of them. Uh, God's law for you to be here on the Lord's day. Not God's law for you to come to the race. God's law for you to be here on the Lord's day. Not God's law for you to come to woman of the word. God's law for you to be here on the Lord's day. Not God's law for you to go to hungry and the homeless. God's law for you to be an example, both in word and deed, to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not God's law for you to go to the hungry and homeless, to pass out tracts. Not God's law. God's wisdom? Yeah, you can if you want to. Are you required to? No, you're not. We can't make the path of holiness narrower than it already is. We must be careful not to put more on God's law than God himself has done, lest we play ourselves to be God. And we must not tell the person who's not doing those things, you're stepping off the path of righteousness when they're actually right on it. If we see those who are disregarding the law of God, then they must be reproved, possibly rebuked. But we must be careful not to be the sin police. Lest we disrupt the peace of God unnecessarily. You come into the church, I wonder who's sinning today. Hmm. I grew up in a church like that. It was terrible. That's why after a while I started wearing great green fatigues to church and a Che Guevara shirt. Just like, call me on my sin. <laughs> wearing a suit to church. God's law? No. My own personal conviction. You, you can wear whatever you want. You must, God's law, you must wear something. You must be modest, right? Uh, as an example of this in closing, First uh, Corinthians chapter 8, Paul deals with food that has been offered to idols. When we go to First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23, he says, listen, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. And not all things build up and edify, but you should seek toward those things. And the point of it is this. The church during that time knew that there was food that was being offered to idols. That after it was being offered to idols, it was brought into the marketplace and it was sold. And people who were Christians were buying food that was actually offered at one time to idols. The Christians who knew these things would say, you don't buy those things because you're 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 partaking in a kind of fellowship and worship with with demons and devils if you do that. But there were other Christians who didn't know what those other Christians knew and would buy the food and buy the drinks anyways. Paul's encouragement to them was, listen, if that person doesn't know what you know, leave them alone. 
Is it going to send them to hell? No. Let them be. They will grow in their understanding. But for right now, maintain the peace and unity of the church. For you, you don't need to buy it. But for them, don't condemn them. They don't know what you know. What does that mean? It's where the context of knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Paul is saying, you know something they don't know. Fine. Love them through their ignorance. They are still trusting in Christ. They're just buying meat. Get over it. It's not that big of a deal. For you, fine, it's a big deal. But if it's going to destroy the peace of God, let it go. Paul says, although we have liberty to eat and to drink what has been offered to idols, there are some cases where we should deny that liberty for others' sake. He takes it the opposite way. Now for you. If you are buying food, if you're buying food that's causing other people to stumble, then don't buy it. If your brother's going to stumble because of something you do, avoid it. Even if you have the liberty to do it. Let's go back to the, the alcohol example. When I was struggling with this, my, uh, Pastor Isaiah might know about this, remember this. My wife definitely knows about this. When I was struggling with this idea of, is it lawful? There was a few guys in the church who were saying, yeah, you can have alcohol. So they set me up. They invited me to go have dinner with my wife or have pizza. And while we're sitting there, the person who was sitting across from me orders the tallest beer I've ever seen in my life. I could barely pick up the pizza to put into my mouth. Why? Because he finished the whole thing. Well, I was wrestling with the idea. It would have been nice on his part if he said he's wrestling with the idea. Let me not do it here, even though I have the freedom to, lest I cause him to go through the anxiety and fear and all the other things I was experiencing that day. Is it going to cause your brother to stumble? Then avoid it. Do you have the freedom to do it? Yeah, you do. All things are lawful, but not all things are good. Profitable. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. The old saying is. We must guard the two sides here. There are some who prohibit what God has was. There are some who prohibit what God has not uh, what God has permitted. And we must be careful not to restrict the liberty that God has given us. Paul says, even when they are wrong, be so tender to them that you would rather deny your own liberty than press upon their conscience things that they don't believe that they should do. Our goal is not to win, but to be right. Our goal is to build up. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for the mutual upbuilding of the body of Christ. You may have facts and, and they may be difficult for that person to to hear. And it take, may take a lot of self-denial for you to not share those facts with those person or you to press them upon them. But consider, are they weak? Then don't make them more weak. Are they strong? Then maybe they can handle it. But your job is to build them up in the faith. Our goal is to edify, to encourage, to promote peace and not to do anything that would cause any kind of division in the church. In closing, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you, what actually draws the boundaries for your union as Christians in this local church? What are the boundaries that you have? What would cause you to divide with, with someone here in the church? Let me ask you a variety of questions. Are you a sinner? 
in the sight of God, deserving his justice and punishment. Do you believe in Christ as the son of God and the only savior of sinners? And do you rest upon him alone for salvation as offered in the gospel? Do you resolve and depend upon the Holy Spirit that you will seek to be a faithful member of the church? Do you promise to faithfully support the local church in its worship and work? Do you submit to the government and discipline of this church and promise to seek its purity and peace? Brothers and sisters, these are all from our Constitution. If you make a list of where you draw the line, it should be at your membership vows. These vows decline or define for us our relationship with one another. What's that at the heart of our union? Our true union is not being from Bakersfield. It's not even from being from California or even being a United States citizen. Our union is because of our faith alone in Christ alone. Do we not partake in the same and one supper? We're going to partake of it in a few, in a few moments or later this evening. Do we not confess that Christ is our only Savior and that He will return? Do we not believe in the same Father and have the same Savior and the same Holy Spirit? Is your Father different from my Father? Is your Savior different from my Savior? Is your Holy Spirit different than my Holy Spirit? Praise be to God, the answer is no on all of those. And it's good news. When you see division in the world around you. Some of us went to go vote. And we had a particular party in mind. And we went to those uh, little voting centers. With people who are the same party as us. Standing right across from us. But they don't know you. They're voting for themselves. They're going into those uh, voting booths for themselves. And praise be to God that when you can look around and see, they don't care about me. They, they didn't ask me when I came in. Aren't you so glad that we're going to be on the same team together? They may be in opposition to you. Some of us, we went to those voting centers, we're looking across saying, you better not be a, you better not be a lefty. You better not be a righty. Praise God that when you come into the church, you can say, oh, there's my brother. There's my sister. That you know you have true and a more fundamental union here. When you look out in the world and you say, man, Republicans aren't what they used to be. Look out in the world and say, gosh, Democrats are not what they used to be. We can look into the church and say the church still remains the same. Because God has not changed. His word has not changed. It's the faith that's been passed on from Christ to his apostles to we, us here, his disciples. God has cast his vote for Christ and Christ has drawn us into his fold. We are of the same party. The only one that will ever last. When you come to this church and you're a member, you come to a church where people have They've affirmed you publicly. I publicly unite myself to you. I publicly say, you are my sister. You are my brother. I am united to you. When you go to those voting booths, there's no public nothing. It's all secret. 
We are here for each other. We are one in Christ. And we have vowed to remain, maintain the peace and unity that God has given us until he returns. I encourage you, saints. Build one another up in love. Maintain the peace that God has created through Christ and his doing, dying, and rising. Be others-oriented for the glory of God. Let's pray.